Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. What'd you say? Plus minus. Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well respected. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to another episode of Warriors Plus Minus. We are all here, the entire gang. We've got Ethan Strauss, our superstar, author, and ratings expert, and James Wiseman expert, spin move master. No, we've got Slater Wiseman. <laughs> we've got Anthony Slater. I don't know. I think you're trying to take his spot with your Wiseman piece. No, I don't know. No, he got be- he 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 got benched in the he second did. half. Man, he's he's all yeah. Slaters now. You off you off Wiseman now. Huh? I always loved Lamelo. I o- Lamelo. I was the biggest fan of. Strauss is in the Looney Lane. <laughs> That's where he's at. He's gonna die in the Looney Lane. We've got uh, Anthony Slater, our superstar, most valuable player, and the boss man. We do not have the boss man. No Tim? I just asked no, if Tim. everybody was here. I was like, yeah. Yeah, well, I thought you meant everybody who was planning on being on the podcast. Oh, Tim is bad. getting mu- much needed break. Much needed break. He's on vacation, man. Much, yeah, much deserved, much deserved break. I was oh, well, say, let's party you? then. Let's go. No Tim in the building? Substitute teacher, baby. It's uh, <laughs> Let's talk about anything. After the second game of the season, we started mapping out the Warriors' schedule, and we were, we were prognosticating about what they needed to do on the homestand. Might have been after the Detroit win. But it was. The Warriors now sit at what four and two at home on the four and two on the homestand, and yeah. with, with Indiana left. I mean, I know yes. they technically have won it, but have they done all they needed to do? Far beyond anything you imagined they would do on this road on this homestand. I wouldn't say far beyond. Look, we thought they might come together. This was a realistic possibility. Steph Curry explosions. Uh, I I think the Steph Curry 62-pointer in a win was more realistic to think about than Steph Curry going 2 of 16, and they still win a game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, we said 4 and 3 would have been a success. That includes a win over the Clippers, where they came back from, what, 22 down? Um, you beat the Blazers one out of two. You, you, you wanted to know, could they split those two series? They did. And then other than that, you, you blow out a bad team in the Kings. You handle the Raptors probably should have lost, but they're getting clutch moments from Damian Lee. Now he's really kind of saved the early season for them. And yeah, if they beat the Pacers and you go five and two on this homestand, it is an electric homestand. It's good considering some of the things that have gone on and just frankly how bad Ubre has been. This is easy to imagine happening if Ubre was his Phoenix self. I mean, I think we would say this would happen, right? That this would be the result. I don't know if it's impressive or it's surprising is that they've got somebody in their starting lineup who just in terms of output, because the the energy is there, he is playing defense, he is competing, but he's probably been the worst player in basketball who is in a rotation just as far as production. And so they've got that anchor that's been tethered to them 
and they've still been able to eke out these victories. So that's what's impressive. Yeah, I mean, the bench has been awesome. You know, you got Lee's basically 50% for three. Mulder's coming in in random games going four or four from three. Baysmore has reestablished himself as like a, a nightly good rotation. Because he had three blocks last night. And then it's funny, we go back to those first couple of games when we were talking about the wing problem around the Warriors, right? This Wiggins and Oubre struggle. Andrew Wiggins, they played 10 games. He was really bad in the first two. He's been really good in the next eight. Like, cumulatively, like, the guy has been probably, I would say, through 10 NBA games is like a fringe all-star right now. What's funny is that, I'll just quickly say that all these Wolves fans tell you, oh my God, you're going to, you're going to get it. You're going to see, you're going to see what we're so frustrated with. And, oh, you don't think so. And you're talking yourself into it. And what's funny is that Wiggins offensively has effectively been who he's always been and maybe even a little worse. But the fact that he's Ding up to the degree that he is makes him palatable and isn't unenjoyable to watch. Just playing defense and averaging, I don't know, maybe over twice as many blocks or a block rate that's twice what it was in Minnesota, I think has just made him a player that's far easier, far easier to appreciate. Well, and it's beyond the blocks. It's like individual defense. Like it's a possession he doesn't get a stat on, but I mean, you saw him get the stop on Siakam last night, but if you really look at the whole fourth, he got like three isolations. Such smart defense though, like on that Siakam stop. It's bouncy, it's lateral quickness, it's alertness, right? We, we He's better individually than in the team setting, probably from an alert standpoint, but he just looks like a really good defensive player right now. And that really changes who he is in the landscape of the league, right? Because suddenly if you're a 18-point-per-game scorer who's also, you know, a pretty good wing defender on the best players in the league and can even slide down and guard a, a Lillard McCollum if you're playing Portland, let's say, yeah, that's a pretty solid third best player on a i don't want to say contender but like a you know four or five seed yeah for me that's this is why the four and two to this point is a bit more surprising i think you're right if if maybe the season has started different and players look like them their normal like regular production it's like yeah whatever all right but it's the revelations that have happened in the process to me it's just like they're four and two because Wiggins is amazing, right? They're four and two because Kerr, like, kind of backed off of some things and, and changed a little bit, you know, sat some guys. Like, for me, I didn't see this coming this soon, this fast. Like, the two games they lost, they, they got handled pretty easily, but they didn't have that many, like, they should have lost. In Toronto, they should have lost, so at best, or at worst, they'd be three and three. Like, this is not one of those things where they just won three close games and got lucky a few times. Like, last night was their lucky game. I don't know if I saw it coming together this fast in the way that it has to me. Like, especially after those first two games and then barely beating Chicago. It was like, yeah. I mean, even Steve Kerr was talking about, yo, give me two months. And it turned out he needed a week and a half, right? But it, to me, just how, like, how it's all worked out is a little bit surprising to me. I would just say, and this can lead us down a road of a conversation we should probably have as I look at every Twitter alert every two minutes right now, and it's like a, a league increasingly heading towards potentially a pause in the season. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I think we underestimated early in the season was the cost of having 
Draymond Green and James Wiseman, who would become their starting power forward and center, sitting out training camp. Draymond ends up sitting out the first four games, but, you know, he's still not even fully back where he wants to be conditioning-wise. And, like, you know, you're supposed to install your top 10 defense that Steve Kerr is saying that they're going to have and starting to look like they might actually have. And you're doing that without your rookie center and your defensive anchor. So early in the season, I think we underestimated the impact of that. Now, I think what we're seeing is across the league, there's a lot of teams dealing with coronavirus stoppages, you know, guys in quarantine. I mean, you have teams who have like seven, eight guys out right now, and the Warriors aren't dealing with that. You know, the the Warriors have not had one issue since their intake process. The Wiseman Green stuff was during the intake process, where now it's kind of allowed them to settle into a rhythm while most of the league is so unsettled that they might have to actually pause the season. And you get to start to wonder, like, is there's just a matter of time or are they just really being on top of it? I was thinking about that because it's funny. This is exploding all over the league. And I'm not going to say that I was unaware because you see the reports, you see the headlines, but we're in a little bit of a bubble where the Warriors play and nobody's out with COVID. And it just seems like the season is going along. And meanwhile, really, it looks like that scene in The Dark Knight Rises where Heinz Ward is returning the kick and all of the football field is just collapsing behind him into the into the ground that somehow he's Whoa, running. What movie was that again? The Dark Knight Dark, Rises. Okay. You know why? I always think, every time I think of that scene, for some reason, I think it's the last Boy Scout, and then somebody has to tell me, "No, that's Batman." <laughs> but in the last Boy Scout, there's a, there's there's not a same scene, but there's like a football explosion scene. For some reason, I'm old, and that comes to mind. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think it's a decent metaphor for what the Warriors are doing right now. I think they're Heinz Warden the season. Hey, Heinz and- Ward scored, right? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did that count? I mean, that's a good question. Statistically, did that go on? Nah, that's touchdown. Come on. You got to give them that. Before death, touchdown. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was impressive that they went through an entire four-game East Coast road swing to start the season and did not encounter any of these issues. I almost feel like that might be the perfect time to do it, though, right? Like, just be stuck in a hotel room. What might also be interesting, and maybe we'll come to find this out, is the San Francisco slash California protocols and, and the seriousness that it's being taken in the Bay Area might be helping the Warriors, right? I mean, there's teams that play in cities that are like basically open right now. Wide open, right? Yeah. Watching those football games, Joe, was kind of wild. Just seeing that many people. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Houston Rockets are having like 4,000 fans in their stadiums for games right now. (laughs) It's incredible that they can field 4,000 people to see that. No. (laughs) So a normal Houston Rockets crowd. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. About as loud. About as loud. Ouch. Ouch. Toyota Center running as quiet as a Prius. Anyway. Well, there are reports, by the way, I think we should say that – they're going to meet tomorrow. The NBA Board of Governors set an emergency meeting. Yeah, no, by the time people are listening to this, there might be more news on this, so I don't want to sound like we're too outdated. At this point, we're talking, there has been no pause. I'm just saying, like, they're going to meet tomorrow. It's an indoor pool party. It's just, they're really throwing caution to the wind. I mean, this is a whole other topic. I'm probably going to talk about it on my podcast. But the NBA protocol protocols, that's a hard word to pronounce, protocols, loosey-goosey compared to what they had going on in the summer. I mean, I think that we weren't expecting that 
because we kind of trusted the NBA since they had done such a great job. You don't job think over the, the honor summer. system works? <laughs> they don't have bracelets or nothing, huh? They don't have... <laughs> no. It's like, what do we do? Dude, we could start interviewing these players based on the protocols, you know? Like, we, we haven't really thought about it, but if you just go, if you just go on the road, apparently, as long as you are declared a personal friend, you can go up there. So, uh, I don't think it's uh, our company that they want, but. It seems like this was predictable, I guess is what I'm saying, based on the rules and regulations. In some ways where the Warriors have lucked out, like did you see this Jason Tatum-Bradley Beal situation where Jason Tatum, like the Celtics play, the Wizards, it's a great game. Bradley Beal, by the way, has been awesome. We might even need to do a Bradley Beal segment. Free Bradley Beal, GoFundMe. Uber for Bradley Beal, straight up. They're both from St. Louis. Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal have a you know great game. After the game, they come together, like slap high five, talking in each other's ear, probably sit there and have maybe, let's say, a minute conversation, no mask, obviously. And then the next day, Jason Tatum tests positive for coronavirus. And Jason Tatum obviously has to go into quarantine, but they go, uh, there's a one-minute video of Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum having a massless conversation like 12 hours ago. Uh-oh, Bradley Beal, star player for the Wizards, who, you know, this has nothing to do with his own team. He didn't know Jason Tatum had that. He is now in quarantine, and he's out, I think, at least seven days. So the Warriors have also avoided that unluckiness, right, where maybe you play a team that had an outbreak. Talk about lucky. Seth Curry was pulled in the middle of a game, you know, and the question is, like, hey, he was in the game. Shouldn't everybody be pulled? And they, they decided to, to play the game anyway. But imagine how lucky the Warriors are that Seth wasn't at home for – wasn't in the Bay for a vacation. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's that's the uh, the randomness of it. It's like he got all the way into the game, you know, before they like, – I'm trying to figure out, did they take the test at pregame? The Grizzlies pulled Valashunas at halftime – and it was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then he's like, says the next day, false alarm. But he like, you know, he's he's their starting center. He's good, and he had to sit out the second half because they thought something might have gone down that apparently didn't. Like, it is a very odd season, and Ethan is right. Like, it is going on completely separate from the Warriors. They haven't had any issues. I mean, you know, the Eric Housen situation, but really, like on the court, it hasn't like affected their rotation at all or any of that. It's going to though, right? Like, it's going to happen. It seems like something's going to happen yeah, to it feels delay. Like it's unavoidable. Yeah, eventually, Heinz Ward looks back at the end of that scene and goes, "Oh my god!" And that that might be what occurs. Just in he terms turns of around the- and goes, "Oh my god, did I just win the Super Bowl? Is that going to be the Warriors? <laughs> oh my god, are we the NBA champs by default right now?" <laughs> If nobody else can play, that is that is the technicality. So one way or the other, either they're going to catch it or it seems like there is going to be some kind of pause because this is just rolling. But with coronavirus, it always seems like there's more that I don't know than that I do know. And it's just not so predictable. And people thought that it, the bubble wasn't going to work. I'm shocked the bubble worked, right? I'm shocked. For yeah, all you we were know, super skeptical, I remember. Oh, yeah. They had a situation where... They did pause it, but for a reason that wasn't Corona, but they got it off the ground. They completed it, which is impressive. And for all we know, it feels like this is going to go on for a while, but this could be the peak. We we don't know. We don't. You do hear from people around the league that they think January will be the worst month. And like, you know, more and more people are getting vaccinated by the day where everything you know, hints that we're heading on an uphill, you know, trajectory back towards normal life. Now, how long will that take? That's kind of the big question. Obviously, there's a lot of other things going on in the country right now that it's just, you know, 
intensifying everything where I would not be surprised if they pause the season, but they've kind of built it in, right? They haven't even made the second half of the schedule for the season where you could just push this week of games coming up, let's say, put it in the second half. And at the end of the day, either you got to push the playoffs back a week or two or something like that, or you cut off, you know, an extra seven games instead of 72, you're playing 65, like whatever, you know? So I think it can be done. It's just weird from a warrior standpoint where it's like, they could keep playing these games because they don't have current issues. Also, how much does the stoppage hurt them? Right. If they are developing right now and they found the groove when other teams haven't, if this thing stops for 14 days, does that hurt them? Or does it help them? Cause it gives a few people rest that need, or does it kind of break the rhythm? Maybe it helps Ubre, who could use a reset. You right? know, it's funny you say that. I think it would help Ubre and Wiseman, right? Wiseman, I think, has got enough of a sample to, like, we know what his long-term ceiling potentially could be, but he does kind of seem like he might need, like, a mental break to just think about the lessons he learned, right? Or Ubre or Wiseman just needs to play not with Ubre. I mean, I do think that's that is a bit of a hindrance to have him there. I mean, Ubre is minus 55 on the season, I think. By the way, I think Damian Lee is over 40 plus, uh, which is a contrast. And uh, look, I know Steve likes defense. I'm aware of the political dynamic of having invested so much money in the Ubre acquisition, but you do wonder how much longer this goes on. And it was surprising to nearly see him close out the game because I do think he's killing the productivity of the starters right now. He just is. It's, it's hard to have a guy in there who's not being guarded when they already don't have a lot of shooting in that lineup. We talked about this uh, Slater, like at some point, like I know everything is about getting Wiggins going, but it's just going to have to be about getting everybody else going. If he started this season with his salary, forget the luxury tax part, but his salary. And if he started the season and Kerr said, we're going to make you the six man. Is he somehow less valuable? Would people be like, nah, he can't be a six-man making that much money? I don't know why somehow bringing him off the bench means it's a waste of money. That was possible from the beginning. What's interesting, though, is they've developed a really nice formula in the rotation beyond the starters that you would be disrupting. You know, suddenly you're saying, hey, I know Eric Pascal as a small ball center that's kind of eating up possessions and and this this crew that has been very good for the Warriors in this home stand. I don't know the exact plus minus numbers, but like they're the reason they came back against the Clippers. They're the reason they've stayed in a lot of these games. Suddenly you're you're adding Ubre to that. Maybe you're blasting up the rest of the rotation. You know, so it's tough. And I also do understand the idea of we all know the Warriors are not title contenders this season but the best version of the warriors let's say is like a, a dangerous four five six seed includes a really good defensive lineup that includes Ubre, right i get it but he's got to play better man he can't be standing beyond the misses i mean he's messing up some basic stuff and i know that draymond the castigated passes are insane yeah you know, yeah the like entry it's, passes or it's just unbelievable and i know draymond castigated uh everybody and all of us for not knowing what we're talking about which is why we ask other people because we don't know everything on the court but i do know that when steph curry's coming towards you and you're standing in the corner you're you get the hell out of the corner i mean how does that happen repeatedly and you can see the frustration visible with steph it's just a situation where he's playing too badly to justify remaining in the starting lineup it is having an impact and i know that there's a lot of feel good going around because the warriors came back from the big deficit against the clippers right a hole they were in i think 
in large part due to Ubre's minutes, by the way, and they just beat the Raptors. But I think in both those cases, I mean, I don't want to say it's a little bit of fool's gold because there are good things happening with the bench, as you're noting, but it seems like they're getting a little bit lucky and their process, their, I'll put it this way, their result right now is a little bit better than the process. I don't know how he kills the second unit, by the way. It's not like they're running like sets and that where he's got to be. It's just defense and run. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is what I would say to you too. For them to maximize themselves, they need to get Ubre back to being the Kelly Ubre of Phoenix. Whatever you think the best path to that is, Steve Kerr clearly thinks the best path is, hey, play him through it. Keep the starting lineup that they think is going to be the long-term starting lineup. He's going to get through the slump. Let's pump him up. He keeps pumping him up in press conferences, which is, you know, that's a normal Steve Kerr thing to do. It's what he does. If you guys disagree that that's the way to go, maybe. But the reality is they need, they can't give up on him because for them to be their best selves, he's got to be a contributor. I agree. I just don't think there's only one way to look at it. I, I think he could be that coming off the bench if before the season began anybody said he's gonna be our six man our super sub nobody would have been like what are you doing like it was always part of the equation that it was possible like i mean it, it, it never was irrational uh I, I think him playing with the second unit and they're kind of free like part of the problem he's not grasping how to play with steph like that's part of the problem so yes. if you take him off with steph that's that you don't have he doesn't have to deal with that he doesn't have to worry about screen and reload who's gonna screen and relocate for that's not that big of an issue anymore and i think taking that mental block out of the way can kind of help him find his game i just don't think moving him to the second unit is this grand emotion like to me i mean that's most of his career by the way wiggins is minus 45 by the way i, I didn't see that one jeez yeah, well, I think a lot of that is, I mean, Wiggins gets the worst of both worlds because he's got to <laughs> he's got to deal with the Ubre minutes and he's got uh, to try to float the the second unit. Yeah, I think that Ubre is a little more telling. Ubre is almost exclusively in lineups where he's flanked by a lot of talent. I think his minutes are pretty matched to Steph's. And to what Marcus is saying, Damian Lee knows how to play with Steph. Ubre does not. And so it just doesn't seem like this is a starting lineup that's working too well, even if, hey, maybe the turnaround will come. Maybe it will happen. Maybe he'll start to get it. I think what's more likely is that the shot will come online than that he'll get it. This just seems like something that should have been, it should have been fixed by now if it was ever going to be fixed. I think he'll still get there. I, I do think, what, 10 games is especially when, with a minimal camp and minimal preseason after that long layout. I don't think that's unreasonable we've seen players slump before i think it might not be a like an osmosis type of fix right it might not be like oh he'll get it eventually like like you might need to do something so he can get it one of the biggest problems is like the way he's going about breaking out of the slump which is like 
ramping up the aggression almost where it's like he's gonna shoot six times in the first six minutes because he's like i'm gonna show that tonight's the night i break out and of threes it. too he yeah shoot threes like he's, yeah. where it's like if he just said if he was like you know what i'm shooting like andre robertson right now why don't i just play like you know be the andre robertson type where it's like i just focus solely on just defensive disruption and like sure i slash and if i get an open layup i'm gonna try to shoot it and if they leave me absolutely wide open for three and it swings to me okay i guess i have to but the problem is he's kind of like hunting shots right now and like at this point he's kind of a defensive specialist hunting shots that's kind of the problem one of the many i guess I'm okay with it if he hunts better shots. He's hunting threes. Like, I mean, if you play basketball any length of time, you've heard a coach tell you, like, you work your way inside out, right? Even Steph, when he's missing the three, he's going to drive. Draymond was The problem hit, is his know, drives have been threes. so wild and ineffective, too, though. Probably a little bit more effective than them threes, though. <laughs> but I do think that's where they need to say, hey, Kelly – do these things instead of saying, ah, he'll figure it out. Say, all right, here's what we want you to do. You get an open three, take two dribbles into the elbow. We just going to take all elbow jumpers, all elbow jumpers. That's what you're going to do. Like, like give him a blueprint for success instead of just presuming. I, I don't know what they're doing. I, like, we're not in practice. So maybe they are doing this stuff. I don't know. But it, it definitely feels like they're just expecting, like, to wake up one morning and Uber is back. And it, it just might take... Like, the way he's playing makes me think nobody's telling him to do something different. And maybe they are telling him to do something different, and he's just not doing anything different. But he's taking the same shots he took in game two. And it's like, dude, you, you have to make the adjustment. Uh, I don't know why he's not doing that, though. Per uh, NBA.com, and I think this is probably for per 100% uh, possessions, with Ubre on the court, Steph is uh, minus 5.4. With Ubre off the court, he's plus 4.2. I think he's tanking these dudes' numbers. I mean, I think he is right now. It's a problem. It's a really big problem. And it feels to me like they dodged two bullets, Just not, not just with Corona, but just in the game results as of late. Ethan, if Marcus Thompson coached an NBA team, would they lead the league in mid-range jumpers? I think Marcus. It, I think Marcus and Steve. Are, I think Marcus and Steve are the same, man. I think they're the same. They both believe the same thing, which is that is not your primary weapon. But every now and again, it's the thing you need to go to if it's being given up by the defense to keep the defense. Honest. I believe in counters. Like I believe, like if you're in the NBA, man. Like me, if I'm playing, I got my one thing, and that's it. But these dudes are too good to just do one thing like it doesn't work that way you got to have a counter like look at steph look at wiggins right these dudes have multiple things well, wiggins will certainly take a 17 footer he'll also take a step back three he'll also drive like we're seeing he'll also post up like when you're struggling you can't just keep doing the same thing and also like these dudes all like steph always talking about you take what the defense give you like james hardy said i'm taking with you everybody's giving you the mid-range it's free money you if you watch Kyrie play theoretically uber is a good mid-range shooter he should be i'm sure if he if he focused on it he'd be good at it he's got the he's got the jumping ability because that's just like get to the spot jump and take the shot like get to the spot jump russ does it but if you watch kyrie's game the reason he's do not tell kelly Oubre to watch russell westbrook tape 
Don't worry, don't, don't do worry. It. He's kind of playing like a wing version of Russell Westbrook. He, he is. <laughs> he really Watch is. Kyrie. Kyrie is unguardable because he scores at all three levels. Like once he gets by his first man, he just might pull up. You knock down two or three of those, that big man is coming up and it opens up the drive. It happens every single time. It's just it's a shot that gets abandoned, but the best Kevin Durant uses it. Like it's open. They're giving you free money, and with a guy like Steph. The reason I think it's good for him is because he has to work so hard for the other two. Take the easy stuff, the stuff that's less taxing on your body. You only got to beat one man to make a mid-range jumper. You got to beat three or four to get to the rim. So take the two. It's the same two, right? Like Take the mid-range. If you want an interesting stat, every other warrior in the starting lineup uh, has a negative plus minus when they play with Ubre and a positive when they don't. Other than Wiggins, where it goes from minus 3.4 with Oubre to minus minus 1. So that's kind of crazy. Sounds like Wiggins is holding Oubre back. That's what it sounds no, no. like. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's clearly been the problem right right here. Uh, yeah, so basically you're, you're nearly at a point where every starting player is in the positive without Oubre and in the negative with Oubre. Is Let the me tell you situation. what's Oubre's biggest problem right now. Like the biggest problem for Oubre. I mean, obviously he's missing three, but like – like the wings are coming alive. Like he's the only one who's not. Like Baseboard looks great. Damian Lee looks good. I mean, Mulder's making shots. Wiggins is playing incredible. Like he's literally the fourth, fifth best player at his position right now. Wanamaker closed part. over him. The other yeah, Wanamaker. Like I, I was putting him as the point guard. But yeah, if you just talk a perimeter, now he's even further down. He like, closed that's the, the, the other day, Garden Paul George, which would theoretically be absolutely the Ubre be Ubre, right? There, there's just so many better options right now than him, which is hurting his case because you could turn, you could turn to a few places. Uh, like yeah, that to me is like yeah, dang. If there were no other options, we'd be like, all right, suck it up. But there's got like three other ones. Yeah, I know it is a delicate situation though. Like I think sometimes we do skip over the not only the political dynamics of like what they pay to Ubre, but Kelly Ubre believing that you know I don't know, you remember some of his quotes when he got here about like he wants to be a Hall of Famer, like he wants to be an All Star. You know he's gonna learn from Draymond Green and Steph Curry and all that. And Steve Kerr and he's in a contract here. You know, this is very important. You know, what happens this season is very important for his next four-year payday, probably. And he's clearly just somebody who, like, is putting a ton of pressure on himself. And dealing with this historic slump is not easy for a coach, for a franchise that's paying what they are, and just, like, this entire situation. I mean, it's tough. And and the best thing that's happened to them is, like, they've won through it, as we're saying. So, like, it has given, I think, Steve Kerr more of a runway to, like, hey, you know. We were at a point somewhere in the game yesterday, and it, it changed, I think, because Ubre hit, hit a three. We were at a point where if Wiseman missed his next 35 three-pointers, he would have then the same three-point percentage as Ubre. <laughs> Like this is insane. This is crazy. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. I guess is what I'm saying. And maybe if you bl- believe in regression to the mean and the law of averages, it's going to, it's going to eventually course correct. But uh, as Tim has been saying, there are limits. There are limits to it. I do think he'll get back to who he is. I mean, he he still does some things well. It's clearly in his head. It's very clearly a mental thing. It's not an ability thing. It's a mental thing. And if that's the case, 
I mean, you, you kind of have to lean on the fact that at some point he'll get it. I do think 10 games is pretty early, but, I mean, in a 72-game season, it's later than what 10 games normally mean. So, I'm with you, Slater. Like, they don't beat their ceiling without Ubre being Ubre. I just don't know how many games before they do something to help him become Ubre instead of just expecting it to happen. And maybe that's bringing him off the bench. Well, clearly I, I don't they know feel what else that it could it's be. playing him through it. Maybe they'll... Yeah, clearly they do that. Decision. But, I mean, Ethan made an interesting point early where, like, the the wider scope, biggest, you know, development this season is, like, well, what can you turn Wiseman into in year one? What is he going to look like going into year two when maybe, you know, you're getting Clay Thompson back? There's more of a hunger to chase a, a championship maybe next year. Like, you want a maximized version of 20-year-old, 21-year-old James Wiseman. And it, if Ubre is affecting that, <laughs> that is a long-term problem. I would argue that he is. I would argue that Wiseman is is not well served by being surrounded by guys who aren't being guarded, especially when he's trying to develop the seal game, the roll game. It's a lot easier for teams to just crash down and stop that roll and stop that lob if they don't have to guard guys. It just is. And yeah, he would be much better served, I think, playing with Damian Lee in that role than, than with Kelly Oubre right now. What did you guys think of him not going back to Wiseman last night? Because, like, Wiseman, it was obvious not to close with him uh, two games ago when, like, the bench just brought them back against the Clippers. Wiseman was struggling against Ibaka. And I know Toronto's a smart team, and, and there were there were Wiseman mistakes yesterday, but there were, like, what did he score? Like, 12 points in, like, 17 minutes. Yeah. And, and some good plays. Boucher was, like, really kind of giving the smaller lineups some issues. By the way, Chris Boucher, former two-way Warriors guy. I think he had, like, seven blocks last night. He was swiping everything. I thought he was going to go back to Wiseman with like six minutes left, and he just never did. I mean, it's always his inclination, right? I need rebounding. I need defense, right? It's always his thing. So I was surprised that he didn't too. I thought at some point, especially when they're not getting the boards, it's like, all right, he's going to go back. But the fact that he didn't means I think he's – I think he's feeling like, yo, we got to get these wins. This is the saving grace, right? This is the thing that's getting us through it. But, yeah, I I fully expected him to go back to Wiseman at some point. And there was a part where it's like, yo, right now, Steph can't get get going. What you need is the Curry-Wiseman pick and roll. And he was just like, nah, let's keep running. Let's keep running off ball. By the way, and this is totally understandable from a Wiseman perspective. He looked kind of frustrated on the bench. You know, at one point he walked down to the exercise bike, which is typically a sign of like, you know, from what I've gathered early on that he's just like not too pleased the fact that he hasn't been put back in the game yet. And it doesn't matter. I mean, he's 19. This is such a long process with him. And I, I do understand Steve's decision not to, but I thought – he probably should have been rewarded last night for a better game with some fourth quarter minutes, but yeah, who knows? Man, this is part of it, yo. This is part of it. I don't think he was bad. I mean, maybe I missed something that the coaches nah, saw, wasn't. but like, I thought he was pretty good, and so it was very surprising. And I mean, my again, not to get back on this, but made takeaway down the stretch, and they pulled him at the very end. Was they're closing with Ubre? <laughs> like this is unbelievable. This is completely crazy. I thought they would put Wiseman in because all Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet was doing was like putting their head down and getting to the rim. And they didn't have anybody there. Like once they got past their defender, that was it. So I thought he'd bring him back in for that. But you could just see how I see why he was nervous about this team switching, about them switching everything and Wiseman not being 
able to keep up. But for me, like part of the development is, yeah, you sat, you know, why'd you sit? Yeah, get mad and earn your minutes back. Like that's yeah. Part of he what he wasn't a good. force defensively. He wasn't he wasn't really protecting the rim, and maybe that is the thing. That's the first order priority, and maybe that was the message that was being sent. Yeah, it's a balance for him early on where his offense is ahead of his defense. His theoretical job early in his career was to be, you know, do the defense. The offense will come to you later in your career, kind of. But all of his best plays right now are like, oh, man, did but you he see like, him going yeah, transition? Nah, let me get these that. buckets. <laughs> well, he's just like he's getting these highlight buckets just because they're going to come to him because he's so physically gifted with some of this but stuff. But even the shots he's taking is like a dude who's looking for his offense first, right? Like somebody's like he's taking long step back twos. He's looking off dudes. He's taking shots early in the shot clock. Yeah, part of that's what Ethan's saying is when you're on the floor with Ubre and you're like, oh, no, if it gets to him, I'm never touching it. It's like, oh, I got the ball in this possession. Like, let me do something. And then it becomes like a, you know, your turn, your turn, your turn type where it just kind of goes around the around the horn. I want to ask you something, Slater. Uh, how much more of this from Wiggins do we have to see before, like, you know, the Warriors really are light years? <laughs> maybe for true shooting over 55 percent, i think that's where you get the light years is uh you need it to creep above 55 <laughs> i think he is what he is as an offensive player which i mean i don't think he's gonna creep much above that you know like he's he hit three threes last night to make him 20 of 45 from three i even tweeted out and then he missed his last seven threes you know he finished three of 10 from three last night which is who he is he's a 33 percent three-point shooter but he, that's just the track record the defensive stuff is very interesting. He's never been in a defense like this. Clearly, he seems like he could be a very good component of a top 10 defense, which does, in my opinion, change his reputation around the league. But he had, I think the number was 14 really good games to start last season for Minnesota. And we're only at the 10 game mark. And then I, the Minnesota fans, even at the time, were like, hey, it's only 14. We can't, you know, we've been here before. So he's had larger They're samples so traumatized, than this. right? Yeah. Minnesota fans. <laughs> yeah. He's had larger samples than this where he's looked like a friends level all-star. So I don't know. I mean, what Steve Kerr is saying is right. He's just, his role on the Warriors is a lot different than it was. He doesn't have to change the franchise. He just kind of has to be himself. He's really just mostly been himself the first 10 games with more alert defense. But that's because he's got Draymond Green behind him too. You know, like there's reasons why he looks better defensively. And Steph carrying offense, he doesn't really have to. They lower the bar well enough for him to be able to. I think, like Steve said, like he can do what we're asking him to do. You don't really see. I don't know. I understand the expectation is for him to, you know, have these fifteen down games or go back into a shell. But I don't see why he can't keep doing this. Like, it's not that incredible. It's just. I mean, he's averaging seventeen and a half. That would. That ain't even. That didn't even register on his career meter. And it's not efficient. But then again, there are these possessions where it seems like he's bailing out the possession. He often gets the hot potato, right? He often gets the, God, what's the Hollinger term for it? Uh, at those end of shot clock plays. So that is grenade? a little bit. Is it the grenade? Kind of gets grenade. thrown to you? Something. It's something. So it, it, it's a little bit better than what it looks. But yeah, again, it's just a situation where you have to readjust your expectations. If we're expecting what the Wolves fans expected from Wiggins when he was drafted, then yeah, we're going to be pretty disappointed. If we're looking at the situation and going, can you be Harrison Barnes with a little more wiggle in your game? Well, that's doable. And uh, it's easier to be happier with the result. He's better than Harrison Barnes. 
that needs to be said. Yeah, I do think wins will be his saving grace in the end. If he looks and be able to say, yo, I, I, we're winning, that's, for me, what Wiggins was at, being asked to deliver and, and couldn't. So if he does, if he wins with the Warriors, they'll, they'll feel like years. But it's just interesting how, like, yo, he feels like really, like a really good fit, and it feels like it's really working out. And everybody's saying, hold on, hold on. And I wonder how long before you don't have to say that anymore. How long before it's like, yo, this is just who he is. I think he needs a whole season of it, really. And, and a whole season? I thought he was really going to fit well in the pecking order when Clay Thompson was involved. You know, he was going to be able to, to not have as much of an offensive burden, be the slasher scorer, be a tag team guy with Clay Thompson. You mentioned the wins. Like, we, if Clay Thompson was just like a, a good version of Clay Thompson was suddenly dropped on this team, we would be calling them a fringe contender right now. And then suddenly, if Andrew Wiggins is guarding Kawhi Leonard and Paul George with Clay Thompson in a, in a high intensity seven game playoff series in the second round of the West Finals, yeah, his, his reputation takes five leaps upward but they're probably not going to get that this year he's probably going to play presumably one round and crickets for uh andrew wiggins well i'm sorry it's just like yeah, the league so. is exploding right now like that's a <laughs> the league is exploding there's news coming out a mile a minute everybody's debating everything at the same time they're debating oh my god should the league pause should the players take vaccines do the players want to take vaccines are the protocols good enough yeah the listeners may already know what's going to happen by the time they listen to this what do you think they should do yeah pause for a little bit just like the nfl dealt with some of this stuff and just said we're playing, you know, the Denver Broncos, power through that. the Denver Keep Broncos going. don't have a quarterback. Oh, well, find a practice squad receiver. <laughs> what was that team? Didn't have any receivers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Under Armour. The only way out is through, I think is the, uh, is the slogan there. Um, I don't know, man. I would need more information. I would need to know how many people are infected. I would need to know how many guys want to get vaccines because that's this whole element of this thing, which is, not everybody wants the vaccine. And do you force somebody to take a vaccine if they don't want it? And then what is the mechanism for doing that? And is that ethical at a point in time where maybe we don't know everything about the vaccine? I mean, it's there are just so many questions right now that I feel as though that I am ill-equipped to answer, and they seem to all be getting raised simultaneously. I don't know. I don't know if a pause is the answer. It seems like it's a possibility and something that should be looked into. The way you have to look at it is, are you at your peak? Because then then a pause makes a lot of sense. And it also makes sense that the league started so soon because we were getting whiplash. We were going, oh my God, the season just ended. Now it's starting. Well, one of the reasons beyond the TV money of Christmas is it's because of this. Because imagine if they started way later and they had these pauses. Uh, it's just a really untenable situation. So... Yeah, I mean, I could see a pause. I could see maybe shrinking the season, you know, not trying to play out uh, into football territory. It's something that would make sense to me, I guess is my answer, Anthony, without being able to actually answer the question. Yeah, I'm equally like, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I'd be for shutting the whole thing down, all of it, right? But I'm also like, yo, if you're going to play, play. I don't know what a pause is going to do. This, do you pause for two weeks? What's going to be different? You're going to come out of it, and it's going to be the same thing. So if you're committed to playing, I don't know. I feel like you should figure it out. I do think they need to step up their 
their uh, protocols and their processes. And maybe that's what the two weeks is for, is to set some of that stuff up. Maybe that makes sense in, in that case where it's like, all right, we're going to give everybody these wristbands and, you know, oxygen meters and all that other stuff they had in the bubble. But it's like, all right, I mean, do you really expect to not have this stuff happen? In the, like, you've watched it in college football. You've watched it in the NFL. You saw it in uh, baseball. It's like, this is what's going to happen when you try to play sports in this thing. So either you got the stomach for it or you don't. I do think, though, I mean, there's so much more unknown than there is known. And there might not have been such an expectation. You could have lulled yourself into the false sense of security in the summer that things were improving. And even if people said that weather has a correlation, I don't know how much that was accepted as the conventional wisdom. And I guess now we're discovering that weather does seem to have a big impact and it's spreading like crazy. And so maybe they were just optimistic. And the problem for the NBA is that unlike football, unlike baseball, they are indoors. It's just a different it's a different situation that seems to have more of a chance of having rapid fire spread across the league. What you think, Slater? The one thing I do think the NBA should do, if you know, sure if they want to do the pause they can. I think they've built in the schedule to be able to. Mike Prada tweets, seems to me the NBA's got to either shut down entirely or jump the line on vaccines. I'm having trouble seeing any other realistic alternatives. You know, if they do decide to play, though, I think just like, you know, force feed these games in and like, sorry, Philadelphia 76ers, you're going to play with seven guys. You're going to play with eight guys, you know, so just like the NFL went, sorry, Denver Broncos, you're, you're going to play a practice squad guy at QB and you're going to get killed. But it is what it is at this point. Should the NBA force players to take the vaccine if they get the vaccine? I don't think you could. I don't think you should, or I'm not even sure you legally can force anybody to. But I have seen the, somebody like it be said that if you do get it, compared to if you don't, it will very much matter on like the medical protocols you have to go through. You know, you're basically if you don't get it, you're going to still be on. <laughs> yeah. You know the lockdown. It's like we're not forcing you to take it, but you have to play in a hazmat suit. That's just that's just how it has to be. Maybe they just make it very inconvenient without technically forcing you, but they're probably going to have some kind of mechanism for incentivizing uh, it to be taken. Would be my assumption. It's odd to be discussing like a six and four season. It's Heinz Ward stuff happening right now. You know, it's like positivity be, in it, Warriors land. It it does feel like Heinz Ward going like, man, that was a good return. <laughs> this is a lot different than the summer though, when there was no vaccine news. There was no, didn't seem to be much of a light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, they better get to the bubble. There does seem to be one in a sense. And if there's not, if somehow like this vaccine rollout doesn't work, like bubble playoffs, like they've shown they can do it. So. That's still technically on the table. Maybe you do like a late season bowl class, but I just, I assume as a globe will be in a lot better s situation by then. They just got to get there. And if that means minimizing the schedule from 72 to even down to 60 games, that's okay. A 60 game season is pretty representative, I think. I would agree, but they need to, God, I, I always say, you know, if Adam Silver wasn't already bald, he would be bald by now. Uh, it is not a fun job to be trying to run the NBA and carry them through this. Yeah, man, they need to figure out what the Warriors are doing and mimic it across the, across the league. You know how much different it is walking around Houston right now than it is walking around San Francisco? 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just live in San Francisco is the answer. Well, I mean, they, spreads happening here too. I, I think maybe maybe the Warriors are just very diligent. They're not inviting people up to their rooms. You know, maybe they're just uh, adherent in a way. Yeah, it's it's just weird that they've avoided it to this point. Like something didn't a player get it twice? They said or has tested positive twice? I, th- I found that interesting when I saw some report on that. Maybe wonder who. The same player tested twice. Well, I know Durant had the situation twice? where he got it over the summer. Durant had, and the he still two, he's still registering yeah. antibodies, but he must have been around somebody who tested positive, and they made him go to quarantine and miss like four games. And he it sounded like he wasn't too pleased about it because he has the antibodies, but they're being careful. At least on that part of the protocols, they're being careful. I don't have an ethical problem with the NBA taking the vaccine, by the way, or, or like jumping the line, as they say, because it seems like. The issue with rollouts is not about supply. It's about just, I don't know, uh, disorganization. Private company managing to get 500, especially if they're traveling all over the country. So that poses a risk to everybody that they can spread it everywhere. I have no issue with that, I guess I will say. I will go on record saying I have no issue with the NBA getting 500 vaccines of its own. Marcus, take us out. <laughs> Lakers got to go do some stuff. Andrew Wiggins is the truth, and you guys better get on board right now. So Ethan just went on record with a vaccine opinion. Will you go on record and say Andrew Wiggins is going to? I have is no vaccine. All star? Is that you're on the record today? I really don't even know which one's more controversial. Right? Yeah, nah. Uh, no, Wiggins is not going to be an all star. Oh, that's not truth. That. Truth is all star, man. If you really believe, not, yeah, truth. I can't be talking about truth and all. Yeah, yeah my bad. Nope, no All Star. But maybe Truth in is, these conditions, maybe as as Harrison Barnes. <laughs> maybe <laughs> he's living up to the expectations of Harrison Barnes. That's that's the truth, baby. We are out of here. Next time the Warriors will be fifteen and four. On the next podcast, apparently, three months from now. <laughs> Until next time, check us out on Warriors All Eighty Two, which should be All Seventy Two. But at some point, one of us, two of us, will be on there. Uh, otherwise, we will holler at y'all next week. Let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne.